There was a popular song years ago that got a lot of radio airtime, and it was called, What If God Was One of Us? And it was not a Christian song. It wasn't a religious song. It wasn't played on Christian radio because it wasn't written by a religious person. Songwriter's name was Eric Bazilian, and he said that the song was about experiencing something that totally changes your view of the world. And a lot of people that heard that song thought it was disrespectful, and in some ways it, it might have been, but to me, it really helped us think about what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves and our response to God. And uh, so today it might seem odd that I would ask this question in church, but what if there really is a God? What if there really is a God who really did create us? And what if that God became one of us? How would that change our understanding of God and who we are? And how would that change our worldview? Because over all of these centuries that we have made scientific discoveries and we're understanding more about ourselves and the universe around us, there is evidence of order and design in nature. Think about the structure of DNA and how that works together to form us and to form life. We think about the cellular structure of plants and animals and, of course, us as humans. And if you're really serious about considering the mathematic possibilities and probabilities of all of this happening by chance over time, it, it's not really a possibility. And yet somehow we have bought into that worldview that somehow we just got here by chance through evolution, through a, process, a series of processes, just give it enough time and it'll happen. And I'm concerned that we're losing our proper worldview about God and about ourselves. And I believe that's what is guiding us now in our culture today down a path that's not really healthy for us. So what if there really was a creator God? And is there any evidence of that? Well, again, as we look at historical records and documents, and I know there are many in existence, but for some reason, the Bible seems to be discarded as a legitimate historical document, and yet that is exactly what it is. It is a historical written record of human beings who have had interactions with this supernatural being, this God. And particularly in the pages of the scripture, and again, it's not just one book. It is actually a library of writings that span uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, written in different parts of the world by different people from different walks of life, and yet we see this unified theme through it all. This stands head and shoulders above any other religious document. So it is a historical document, and it is a historical document that was written of people who encountered this 
creator God. In the New Testament scriptures, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it's summarized this way. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. This last verse here makes an amazing claim of something that happened in world history. God himself stepped out of the domain that God was in and took on flesh and blood and entered what he created and became one of us in the form of a son, a person that took on flesh and blood and a physical body. And those who encountered this person as this person grew and walked among them, began to show credentials or evidence that he was, in fact, God in the flesh. He had a power that no one else had, and it wasn't magic tricks, and it wasn't some kind of deceitfulness, because the things that he did brought healing to people. He healed people who were blind and deaf and lame, and had various diseases, and he made them well. He made them whole. He had power over nature. And there were eyewitnesses who saw him do these things, speaking a word and calming a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee, walking across the surface of the water. I know there's people that make jokes about all this, but this was no joke. People saw these things, and they're like, this, there is something different about this man. And all of this was to show that he was indeed who he claimed to be. He is our creator. And he had come to be with us and to help us understand his love and also the relationship that he desires to have with us, but it's an option that he gives us. As creator God, he could have forced us to be like little robots and we had no choice in loving him. But in his wisdom, he created us with a free will to choose whether or not we would respond to him, believe in him, and follow him. And this is why Jesus, when he began his ministry, the first two words that he said was, follow me. I'm inviting you to know me. And some of those that first followed him, they were skeptical, just like you and I would be. They heard his claims, they saw his power, and they were still thinking, are we, are we you know, imagining this? I can't believe that this guy is doing these things. He was very compassionate. He helped the poor. He didn't just go to the rich people. He didn't try to be some superstar and, and be some famous person. He went to those who were hurting and lowly, and he ministered there, and he started his ministry there, and it grew from there to all people, poor and rich alike. But he didn't go first to the rich and the wealthy. He went to the poor and the neglected. This is showing the heart of God. For all people. And as those that he called to follow him began to listen to his teaching and see what he did, they began to move from being skeptical to being hopeful. And then they moved from being hopeful to being absolutely assured. And so they wanted to record what had happened in their lifetime 
not just because it was only going to happen in their lifetime, but it would be from that time forward. We see the Apostle John, one that spent three years with Jesus, walking with him, listening to him, seeing his miracles, seeing him die on the cross, and three days later, seeing him risen again from the dead, and then spending 40 days with him and the other disciples and other followers so that they would know this wasn't an imagination. He had conquered death. Oh, my goodness, this is God in the flesh who has visited us and is offering us this amazing relationship. This is what John writes about him. Now, you have the choice to believe or not believe, but it's recorded, and John even says this at the end of his writings, I am writing this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and in believing you might have life in his name. John writes this in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then a little bit further on, as we read on down in verse 14, he writes this, the word became flesh. There it is. God, the creator, stepped out of his domain and stepped into this world that he created and took on flesh and blood. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word father there is used because like as a progenitor, a creator, Everything emanates and generates from him, full of grace and truth. The Apostle Paul, who was also a skeptic at first and actually persecuted those who followed Jesus and believed in Jesus, he later came to realize that God had stepped out of heaven and took on flesh and blood, and it was in Christ. And so he then was transformed, and he spent the rest of his life making this case that world history might know that God has stepped out of heaven. And the Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. The Son, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things together. God is above everything that he has created. And again, I'm using the term he. Jesus said that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So God is actually spirit. He's neither male nor female, but can we just drop all the pronoun stuff for a moment, and let me just go with what the scripture says. So, he created us. He is above all of his creation because he brought everything into being. And so, he created the natural, the physical, but he is above all that. So, he is supernatural. And when God interacts with the natural, those moments become supernatural. And God had spoken to a man named Isaiah centuries before Jesus was ever born and gave him just this little glimpse because this is something about God. We don't understand why he operates this way. 
but he likes to just drop little clues and little hints. How many of you like mystery movies? How many of you like suspenseful things? How many of you like the joy of discovery? Well, why is that? Maybe it's because God put that in your heart. And he wants to give us these clues so that we can have the joy of discovery and putting it together and then realizing the truth and have that aha moment. And so God spoke to Isaiah and he gave this little glimpse, this little clue, and Isaiah writes this prophecy that would happen, that God would take on flesh and come into the world, even though I'm sure Isaiah didn't fully understand it, but he said this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Here it is, Mighty God, Everlasting. That means Eternal Father or Creator, Prince of Peace. Another prophet, Micah, was given a similar kind of a glimpse of this great event. Micah 5.2, he writes... But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. There's the clue, there's the hint. The eternal God is going to take on flesh and blood, and it's going to happen in a little town called Bethlehem. And here's the interesting thing about the detail of God. There were two towns called Bethlehem in this, over there in the Middle East in the region where the nation of Israel existed. There were two Bethlehems. Just like, you know, we believe it or not, there's two Parkersburgs. You all know that. There's not just one Parkersburg in the world or in the United States. There's two Parkersburgs. Well, there was two Bethlehems. But in this prophecy, it singled out the Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrata. That was exactly in the location where this town was. God was giving them a clear indication, I'm a God of details. And that's exactly where Christ came into the world. So God who created the physical is super above that, natural. And when he interacts with the natural, it becomes supernatural. And so we see before these events, there were some supernatural things that took place. And people documented them so that we on this side of history could understand what happened. And it can help our worldview be what it needs to be. Luke 1, 26 through 38. I want you to see these passages with fresh eyes this Christmas season. Sometimes we get so familiar with them that our eyes glaze over and we get all warm and nostalgic and we're like, yes, this is what we read and this is the Christmas story. Now, this is world history. God stepped out of heaven and took on flesh and blood and became one of us. And what difference does that make? What if God was one of us? Luke 1, 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I would too if an angel appeared to me. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Number one, she's like, I'm engaged to Joseph, but we've never been together. And how can I bear a child that's going to be the son of God? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit, supernatural. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Joseph was not going to have any part in this birth or this procreation. It was a supernatural event of Creator God in the womb of Mary. And so, therefore, this child that was conceived would be the perfect mediator between a holy and righteous God and sinful and unholy people. And he would be that person that could bring us together because... As he was born, he was fully God and fully human. God was one of us. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Or another translation is no word of God will ever fail. I'm going to speak more on that next Sunday. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we see another supernatural event. Let's fast forward now to the time about nine months later. And now Mary and Joseph have gone through a tough time and they've traveled. And now here they are in Bethlehem. And this event takes place. And God stepped out of heaven in the form of an infant's foot and body out of Mary's womb, and he's born. Luke 2, 8 through 14, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger in a feeding trough for crying out loud. He didn't come, first of all, to the rich and famous and wealthy. He came to the poorest of poor in a place where animals are taken care of and fed in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So I just want us to think about this first of all. Why did God do this? Well, we've been given those hints centuries before, and it was reiterated by the supernatural event of the angels announcing this to the shepherds. So let's take a look at it. God did this for our benefit. He did it for your benefit and for my benefit. The angel proclaimed in Luke 2.10, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. So God stepped out of heaven, not just for a few people, not just for the nation of Israel. It started there, but his plan all along was to bring everyone to himself of all ethnicities, uh, every geographical location, every period of time, all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is a gift that has been given to us. 
Now compare that to what Isaiah said centuries before this. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God stepped out of heaven for you and for me for all time. That's why Jesus, this one who was born and laid in the manger, though he didn't start existing at the time he was born or even at the time he was conceived, he's eternal. But Jesus, when he grew to adulthood and he began his public ministry in John 14, one of his many teachings, this is what he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to creator God but through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. Jesus was saying, if you want to know God, look at me. And if you know me, then you know who God is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, one of his followers at that time said, Lord, show us the father and that'll be enough for us. Show us God. Show us creator God, Jesus, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said, I'm sure he kind of shrugged his shoulders. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen God. This is what Jesus is saying. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father, the Creator living in me who does this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Here it is. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus is saying, I have shown you the credentials of who I am. And you're still wondering and doubting i understand it's a hard concept to think how could god do this and why would he do this just for us but there's three things just quickly i want us to think about of why god would step out of heaven for us and for our benefit first of all he stepped out of heaven to rescue us you might say rescue us rescue us from what and the biblical answer and the theological answer is to rescue us from our sin. But we've all heard that. And a lot of people don't like the word sin. Sin means disobedience to God. It kind of indicates a rebellious nature, a desire to want to go your own way instead of doing what you're asked or told to do. So there's kind of this rebellious nature in there. And we don't like to think of ourselves as sinners, but all of us are. All of us have this sense of self-preservation and selfishness, and that's why we have to learn how to be unselfish and giving to others. And this is what Jesus taught. And so I'd like to reframe this. I'm still preaching Bible now. We need to be rescued from our sin. But a way that makes more sense is we need to be rescued from ourselves. I mean, can I get an amen? I mean, have you ever gone through things in your life and you've made decisions that you thought were good and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And I need help here. I don't think there's a single one of us that have ever gone through our life and not at some point thought that. 
I don't know about you, but I need rescued from myself. Julie will affirm that. <laughs> I, need, I need rescued from myself. We all do. And the scriptures tell us this truth. Romans 3.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, there's that gift. He stepped out of heaven as a gift to us. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says the truth that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You may not think you need rescued, but you do. And I'm still waiting for that perfect form of government. I'm just still waiting for all of my political party that I support to get into power because when they do, it's all going to be awesome, isn't it? Oh, wait. Did I say something I shouldn't have said? You know, we keep looking for world government or something to change and to make things better, and we're looking in the wrong places because we need to be rescued from ourselves. We need to follow the creator of this universe who stepped out of heaven and showed us a way to live and gave us the example and then gives us the power to live a new way through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why God stepped out of heaven because he is setting up an eternal kingdom and he wants us to be prepared to live in it. What I'm about to read to you is going to be hard. It's going to sound hard and it's going to sound harsh, but it is the truth and we need to hear the truth. So there's a scripture passage, a reference on the screen that you see Romans chapter 1, it's verses 16 through 32. I'm going to read through it as quickly as I can. But we need to hear this. If you're not convinced that we need to be rescued from ourselves as humanity and as human beings, then we need to be confronted with the truth here of what we're about to read. And this is not just for our generation, but this is the history of humanity. When you study world history and the wars and the outbreaks and everything that happens... In the midst of it, though, we have a hope because God stepped out of heaven to show us a new way to live and to turn us from following our own methods and, and cultural shifts and turns and to follow him who is eternal. So it starts out with the good news. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know, there's some people that are afraid to talk about Jesus and, and to share their faith in Christ because they're afraid they're going to offend somebody or they're afraid that they're going to be made fun of, or they're afraid they're going to be ostracized. We need to get over it. We need to get over ourselves. And we need to give the glory to God and not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the good news for everyone who will receive it. Not everybody's going to receive it, but for those who receive it. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. In other words, not only for the nation of Israel, but for all people. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's not governmental laws that's going to straighten things out. It's when you get your heart right with God, that's what righteousness is, and you're living your life according to God's ways and not the world's ways and popular thinking and what everybody is telling you at the time. We need to adjust our life to God's ways and have his spirit working in us, making us right with God, and then that's righteous living. 
We don't do it perfectly, but it's his righteousness working in it. And that's what the gospel is. We need to understand that God is righteous and we are not. And so then it speaks the truth to us rather than being deceived and think, well, you know, I'm okay. I mean, I know we all got our flaws, but, you know, in the end, God's going to say it's okay and we're all good. That's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture says that we are born with this sin nature that needs to be fixed. And the only one who can fix it is God through Christ. And so it tells us this truth, and this is what's going to be hard for you to hear, but we need to hear because we all love to hear about God's love, and he is absolutely a loving God. The whole message that I'm telling you today is to demonstrate the love of God in Christ Jesus. So stay with me. If, if you get mad or upset with what I'm about to read, just please stay with me to the end. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The first thing the scripture tells us is we should look at the universe and everything in nature and instead of trying to explain how it got here without God... We should recognize there is design in nature and we should understand this God who created us and gave us all of this. But the truth is being suppressed more and more from generation to generation. It's taught in our schools. It's taught in our universities. And again, I have respect for those of you in the education system, but I'm called today to speak the truth and not suppress it. And over time, we have done a job of suppressing the truth to where now when evolution is taught or anything about what how we got here, you're not allowed to talk about the fact that maybe God somehow had an eye, a hand in it. The truth is being suppressed, though it's obvious for everyone to see. Oh, I got a lot I could say about that. But. And it's not only being suppressed there, but we're seeing even in political circles, truth being suppressed. Because they want to manipulate who has power at the time. Most of you have probably heard about what's going on with Twitter and Elon Musk. And social media, and we got to be careful because they're wanting to put monitors in there to be truth tellers and who's going to decide what's true and what's not, and they're suppressing free speech. And under the guise of trying to protect people, we're suppressing the truth. And I don't want to get political now. I'm, I am trying to explain to you this force of Satan that is in the world today that wants to suppress the truth. That's why this message that I'm bringing you today I know is it's not easy for me to preach, and it's not easy for you to hear, but it's the Word of God. Since what has been made, known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Here it is. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks. Because you're saying, Mark, how did we get to where we're at today after all these centuries? Well, it's because a lot of people, our forefathers and people who lived before us, they walked away from God. They made up their own ideas of God. It spread throughout the world, and the truth has been suppressed. It's why God stepped out of heaven in Christ was to straighten it all out and say, I'm showing you the truth. It's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
the life. No one comes to creator God, the Father, except through me. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. Although they claim to be wise, see if this doesn't apply to a lot of our thinking today in our cultures. Although they claim to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, that's not only talking about graven images and idols, because some of you are like, well, Mark, I don't, I don't have any graven images. We worship people. We worship ideologies. I am so concerned about the current ideology about sexuality and about pronouns and genderism that has just taken over our culture, and it has become a god to some people. To where the same things that people used to accuse Christians of, of saying, well, you know, you don't allow this and you don't allow that, now the world has stepped in and said, you don't, don't you dare give me the wrong pronoun. Don't you dare say that I'm somebody that I know I'm not, even though my body tells me I'm something else. Again, the truth is being suppressed. And again, I say this in love. I know it's, this is going to upset a lot of people. And I know there are some that probably tune me out right now. But I'm saying this in love. We have lost our minds in our culture. We have lost our minds. We need to be rescued from ourselves. And this is what the scripture says. So I'm going to go on because this is a downward spiral of a culture that turns away from God. And it's not just us. Past cultures have been, have, have been guilty of it. That's why Paul writes this. So please wake up and see what Paul is writing here, the truth that he is speaking. By the way, this would have been censored on Twitter <laughs> and social media. Just want you to know that. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires, to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. We have made sex a God in our culture. And it's not just homosexuality. We have just made sex, in general, a God. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with each other or with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to be done. This is not just talking about those that struggle with their sexuality. This is talking about all of us. Whatever your thing is, whatever your sin is. See, we can't just single out the sexual sins. It's definitely mentioned several times because that's part of who we are. But there's all other kinds of sins of greed and power and money and all of those things that can lead us astray. And so God gets to a point at times, and this is the scary part, where if we keep rejecting God and rejecting God and going our own way, eventually God says, okay, you have your minds made up that this is the direction you're going, even though I've communicated clearly to you, I'm going to give you what you want. 
I'm going to let you go your own way, and let's see how that works out for you. Now, as individuals, we can learn kind of quickly, and we can change our mind and, and go a different direction. But as a culture and as a society, it takes years for us to realize the error of our way. And this is why I'm concerned about things in our culture today. But you don't have to be caught up in that. You can choose to follow the God who stepped out of heaven for you. So he goes on and he says, they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also, here it is, approve of those who practice them. We're in a culture now that does that, very, very much so. God stepped out of heaven to rescue us from ourselves. And if we don't follow him, if we don't receive this great gift and this great act that he has done, if we continue to have our hearts hard to go our own way, God's going to give us what we want. And I've said this before, if you live your life wanting nothing to do with God and no influence from God in your life, when you die, he'll give you what you want. You will go to a place that was created for the devil and his demons, and it's a place that's very unpleasant. It's referred to as hell, and he's going to give you what you want, and forever you'll eternally be separated from God. But for those who say, you know what, I, I want to follow you, God. I know I'm not perfect. Well, that's why he stepped out of heaven into this world, and you have the opportunity to experience forgiveness and grace and new life, and you can start walking a kingdom life now before it begins because he, that's what this life is about. He wants us to learn how to live kingdom living because he will establish this eternal kingdom. So now that I got that part through, I want to encourage you because here's the hope we have in Christ. The second thing that God stepped out of heaven to do was to reconcile us or to bring us to himself. He gives us free will. He says, I'm not going to force you to do this, but I'm giving you an offer. So please come to me. I have done this to reconcile you to me. Colossians 1, 19 through 23, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him in Christ and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God said, I'm doing this for you and I'm going to literally allow myself to be abused, to be mocked. I'm going to be nailed to a cross and put to death. And I'm doing this to show how much I love you and what I want to do to bring you to myself. If you don't believe that, then there's nothing else that I can do that's going to convince you. And on top of that, he conquered death. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified or made right with God by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Here's the good news. If you right now have said, man, I have been walking away from God, and, and, and I kind of realize it, what can I do about it? Turn to Christ. 
Because while we were still sinners, while the world was still deep in sin, he stepped out of heaven and he came into the sinful world and he entered into our suffering and he himself suffered and died and conquered death to show you how much he loves you and he has a plan for your life, but it's not the plan that you're working right now. He wants you to turn to him. That's what repent means. It just means change your mindset and the direction you're going and turn to God and ask him to forgive you and come into your life and he will do amazing things in your life. So this is the final thing. God stepped out of heaven to restore us, to make us who we were really made to be. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And we're all guilty of that, myself absolutely included. We used to be this way. We followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. He's talking about the spirit of Satan that is at work and, and evil and wickedness. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. There's that word again that we don't like to hear. God is a God of love, but he also is a holy God that will not put up with unholiness. And that's why he gave his life, that we might be holy and be one of his children through faith in Christ. But because of his great love, this is what it says, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God has raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God, what if God became one of us? He did. He stepped out of heaven in Christ, he gave his life for you and me and for the world and for all who had put their faith in him. He conquered death, rose again, and he says, come to me, come to me, follow me. I love you, I wanna be in relationship with you, but I'm not gonna force you, you make the choice. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Would you stand? And let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that instructs us. And Lord, it challenges us. But Lord, we, we need that. And so I thank you that in the midst of the pain of this truth that, that we're confronted with, in the midst of that, you offer hope and healing and forgiveness. Because you came and you died on that cross for every sin that we've ever committed and every wrong attitude. Lord, help us to move from unbelief to belief and help us to move from belief to following you and trusting you fully as Savior. Thank you that you stepped out of heaven because you wanted us to see how much of a relationship you want us to have with you. Thank you for showing us the truth. Give us the wisdom, Lord. Change our worldview to see it according to your ways and your eyes and through your word that you've preserved for all these centuries to guide us. But even more than your written word, Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks to our heart and is speaking to hearts right now, Lord. I don't know who you're speaking to, but you know it and they know it. 
And so right now, Lord, I pray that if anyone has heard this message and their heart is, is convicted, that in this moment you would just help them to know your arms are extended and you say, come to me, let go of the things of this world, put your trust fully in me, receive me as Savior. I love you. I died for you. I want to rescue you from yourself and your direction. And I want to give you new life and new power. So help those right now, Lord, just to pray that prayer. Forgive me, Jesus. I believe you. I receive you. Forgive me. Come into my life. Help me live for you. For those of us who have prayed that prayer, Lord, help us to recommit. Help us to not be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to not be afraid to speak the truth, but to always do it in love. Even though some may not perceive it as that, help us, Lord, to live by your example. And we'll give you all the glory in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing our closing song today. And as always, if you want to talk to someone or if you want to pray, you can come to the front or after the service. But thank you for worshiping with us today.